0: Welcome to Deeper Levels, the podcast about pathology, medicine, and science mostly. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Gregory Kirshen, who is a, well, I'm not sure what to call you. I will call you a recent medical school graduate who is serving as an intern early um, and will be starting his OBGYN residency at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland as of July 15th, and I will let him explain why. Uh, before his, beginning his uh, current situation, he completed his MD-PhD at Stony Brook Medical School in New York. Today, we're going to talk about what life is like for a interim intern, that's what I'm going to call you, um, <laughs> dur- during this time, and how caring for patients and even pregnant patients has changed. So Dr. Kirshen, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, first of all, thank Good. you so much, Dr. Binet, for the invitation. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like you and I are on you know opposite ends of the pap smear, so to speak. Um.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> we are deep into the jokes, like a minute in. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I, yes. I, have to say,
1: I have so much respect for you, pathologists. Um, I actually did a GYN pathology elective as a fourth year awesome. medical student, and awesome. I know it is not easy. Like I, I have give you guys so much credit. And honestly, like When I have been talking to patients about their pathology reports, I'm always like the pathologist, you know, found such and such versus what a lot of doctors say. of, Oh, you know, we found like I want to give you guys all the credit.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, that's very nice. And I will say um, over the years, I so the. My differential for what I wanted to be when I grew up was pathologist versus OBGYN. So (laughs) um, the the one reason I knew that I couldn't do it is because I do not do well with little sleep, which I can do for a while, especially I learned as I had little kids. But as a general rule for the rest of my life, I knew I would be super crappy. So (laughs) normally, I like to summarize the news a little bit at the top of the show. Now I feel like there are trends and storylines that I like to follow. And for me right now, the question of antibody testing is in the front of my mind, especially as a laboratory scientist. Um, There's so much information being reported. There are so many versions of the test, and I don't think any of them really went through careful clearance with the the normal agencies because we need to get these tests out. But it it seems... Right after they were released, these testing methods have been questioned, and recently the WHO went out of their way to caution that those who recover and even have antibodies might not be protected from reinfection. So to me, this is the paramount question right now, especially as we talk as a country about opening up, and certain states are already opening up businesses again. I know that the laboratory science community will iron out all of these questions in time so that it feels like the urgency is magnifying all of the normal processes that we go through with QA and QC. So for now, it feels the safest for most of us to do what we've been doing and stay away from each other, basically. (laughs) But I know not all of us have that luxury, especially people like you. So today, we're going to talk about your experience. And while I have no experience being an OBGYN or doing what you're doing now, which we're going to talk about, I think it's going to be very interesting to hear what your experience is like, what it's like being a trainee in the time of COVID. Right. I remember as a resident learning across the microscope from my mentors who, and I'm sure this will happen to you as you go on, when you grow up and become an adult and you realize that medical students are starting to look at you the way you looked at your mentors, right. you can still hear your mentor's voice in your head saying the things over and over again that you repeat to yourself. Like when I'm looking at a pap smear, I can hear you know certain cytopathologists that I knew and loved. And we're lucky in pathology that we can still do a lot of the things we do with our trainees remotely so we can keep right. each other safe. But for people like you, that's not possible. So let's just get started and have this discussion. So why don't you tell us about your background a little or a lot, however much you feel like sharing and how you came to work in the situation where you are.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, first of all, I just want to give some shout outs to uh, some of my mentors who I've been you know, talking to throughout this whole uh, kind of COVID pandemic. Um, first of all, Dr. Gary, Dr. Dave Gary, he's the one of the MFMs at Stony Brook, who is a mm-hmm. phenomenal mentor um, and really uh, kind of paving the way for how we're treating pregnant patients at Stony Brook during this pandemic. Okay. Um, also, uh, Dr. Jen pollard Posada, who's uh, the one of the uh, incoming chief residents, been one of my mentors in OBGYN, um, who I've also had some very uh, deep discussions with about this topic. And finally, uh, Dr. Steven Germana, who's been the intern uh, acting as a uh, kind of senior resident on the COVID floor that I'm currently working on. Um, mm-hmm. to, to give you a little bit of my background, um, I went to undergrad at Princeton uh, studying psychology and neuroscience. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of knew I wanted to be a doctor since I was 14 when I was in you know high school biology. <laughs> uh, my dad's a psychiatrist, so I kind of had medicine in the family. Um, and I didn't realize that I actually was interested in science as a you know profession until my senior year when I was working in the laboratory, um, studying you know hippocampal neurons and just got fascinated in, testing your senior college. year of college uh, or, or college. high school sorry college. oh i was
0: gonna say are you working on hippocampal neurons as a senior <laughs> right. high school i didn't
1: know what the hippocampus was i'm sorry <laughs> no, <that's> true. I, <laughs> I, I did not either um although i did i did start doing a little bit of research in high school but uh, nothing well i nothing mean
0: you serious. have a psychiatrist for a dad so it's it's fully possible that you all talked about the hippocampus over the dinner table well, no know. Yeah. yeah we
1: yeah. had a lot of psychopharm discussions which is kind of what i ended up doing my phd in okay okay i'm um,
0: sorry go ahead yeah, of course so
1: i came to Stony Brook every after med school, sorry, after undergrad, and I joined the MD-PhD program and found actually a hippocampal lab uh, at Stony Brook uh, with my mentor, Dr. Xiaoyuga, who's one of my continuous, you know, has been my mentor throughout this process, um, and I'm talking to him a lot about how things are going on the science end that we can talk a little bit later. Um, mm. And I studied basically adult hippocampal uh, neural stem cells and got very interested actually from studying uh, the adult stem cells to uh, embryonic stem cells. And that's sort of where I think my future career is headed. Um, I was kind of deciding between pediatric neurology, adult neurology, Mm -hmm. and OBGYN. And I figured that um, there were a lot of physician scientists in the neurology fields, but uh, Mm -hmm. really not many who who were in OBGYN who were kind of studying the questions that I was interested in. But I felt like the um, topic was so uh, pertinent to like sort of my, my own personal interests. so I figured I'd, lo- I'd join OBGYN from sort of like a neurosciency kind of perspective. Um, mm-hmm. So you know I was planning on uh, kind of just having the normal fourth year experience um, until COVID happened and the medical school um, to their credit responded by basically evaluating you know um, the need for providers. Um, and determining that there is a crucial need because of the um, rate at which New York has unfortunately been hit by this pandemic um, and decided that they were going to graduate us um, early uh, at the beginning of April. Uh, and basically we had the uh, option to elect to serve as uh, assisting physicians, basically functioning as interns uh, in the hospital, uh, basically that you know, few days after graduation uh, so I opted to do that along with a lot of my classmates. And we've been working at uh, Stony Brook uh, back on the wards um, and mostly on COVID units. The, the hospital has been expanded to mostly a um, you know hospital that's treating uh, largely COVID patients. And we have some um, isolated uh, non-COVID units for patients who come in with, you know, all the typical things that, paci- that patients typically come to the hospital with, um, pneumonia, <laughs> other pneumonias, you know, uh, heart failure, uh, all the other, you know complications that lead to hospitalization. Yeah. Life, life. <laughs> like the that things was... <laughs> that
0: normally happen in life. Yeah. So d- the your medical school in April offered that as an option. I assume that before that time, medical students were pulled off the wards in some form or another. So were people who didn't graduate, they didn't go back and do normal medical school rotations in the hospital, did they?
1: Correct. So basically, okay. um, yeah. the medical school had closed I think somewhere around mid to end of March, all Mm -hmm. the on-site rotations. um, I was on a end-of-year rotation that was actually mostly classroom-based and some simulation. um, And basically, they transitioned all of that to online. For the students who still had clinical work, um, they were basically given an option of, you know, you can um, take this uh, early graduation, start working for the hospital, or you can... um, finish all of your electives online, that would Mm -hmm. be required for graduation, and you'll graduate at the normal time in May. Um, For the years below, they've kind of put the clerkships on hold, and um, everything is online now for what they can do, um, to give them some credit for the time that they're, you know, kind of missing in terms of their clerkships. um, Or they can take time to study for any of the step exams that they need to take.
0: Oh gosh, that sounds like fun. So, when is the first time that you remember hearing about COVID nineteen? Do you remember what the source was and how you felt about it at the time?
1: Yeah, I do actually. Uh, surprisingly, I remember mm-hmm. uh, talking to my dad on the phone, and he was joking about how Stephen Colbert was uh, talking about this new coronavirus and how you know people were stopping to stopping drinking of the Mexican beer and how there was you know oh. something about that. And to me, it uh, seemed you know something that was kind of trivial. Um, mm-hmm. And not very important at the time. And I, I figured it was probably going to be another one of the um, respiratory viruses that we had ha- had, had uh, in the past. Um, and, you know, this, it's interesting because I actually did my junior project at Princeton, sort of like a um, research uh, project on how we, as, as people, uh, tend to uh, care less about problems that are occurring to people who are either physically separated or kind of psychologically separated that we don't necessarily associate with. So if there's, mm-hmm. you know, people who are um, having a problem somewhere that's very close to us that, you know, affecting affecting people we know, we're much more likely to care, which is you know, kind of an obvious conclusion compared to right. people who are yeah. in a far, you know, faraway yeah. land who we right. don't really have as much of a psychological connection to. Um, right. And that was exactly the experience that I was having, you know, <laughs> so.
0: Well, um, and it also sort of mirrors, I think, a lot of the experience I'm talking to a lot of different kinds of people, some some scientists, some people who, you know, are what, what would I consider like research type people? But mm-hmm. it seems like for a lot of people in America, the realization really started to like hit them in the face when when it got bad in Europe, oh, which yeah. is sort of like what you're saying, right? Because I think a lot of people here, at least where we are in, in the Northeast, there's a lot of ties to Europe, you know, and, and not as close of a tie to places like China. So that maybe that is part of the reason why people on the West Coast took it more seriously. I don't have like hard numbers on this, but I think there are probably more people of Asian descent on the West Coast than there are over here. So that's that's very interesting. It's a possibility, yeah. So today is um, April 27th. Um, Obviously your opinion has changed. You are (laughs) on a COVID ward. So how, um, do you remember if there was one moment where you sort of had an experience of your like a light switch flipping or do you think it sort of built up? gradually for you
1: for me there there was definitely a light switch um which Mm -hmm. was when nyu canceled their match day um i remember Mm -hmm. that happened and everyone at stony brook was like whoa like they're Mm like they're clearly taking this like very seriously um Mm -hmm. and we have been actually kind of historically um you know partnered with nyu or like you know we've sort of um worked with them and we've um kind of taken their lead at times um in terms of what they do so Mm -hmm. we were figuring oh. You know, NYU canceled their match day. We're probably, you know, next to fall in line. And sure enough, we found out, um, you know, a few days later that uh, the mm-hmm. deans had decided that it was unsafe to have family traveling in from all over the country, you know, or all mm-hmm. over the world to uh, basically mm-hmm. come to this match day, which could potentially, you know, uh, spread the virus to a lot of people. Um, so that was really where I figured, you know, people far smarter than I am are making a decision that we need to cancel match day. Like, maybe I should start taking this seriously.
0: Yeah, that's funny. I Gosh, I, I remember my match day and it's like, it's such a big deal at the time, but looking back, it, it'll, it'll be fine that you probably did it virtually. It we was did it virtually, just, yeah. It
1: ended up yeah. being actually a very special time. So I have to say, like, yeah. you know, the medical school really yeah. bent backwards yeah. to work on it for us.
0: That's great. I just remember like getting cold sweats and then I was like <laughs> around all my friends and I was like, I probably, you know, like doing that remotely probably would have been just fine for a person like me because <laughs> I was like so nervous. Anyway, um, so your work obviously has changed. You went from being a medical student to an intern. What Mm -hmm. has that been like? I mean, obviously you had been rotating on the wards, but I think the delta between being a medical student and just sort of observing and being somebody who I'm assuming now is having patient interactions and some more responsibility, what does that feel like?
1: So it was definitely um, kind of a culture shock to a certain extent, Um, especially because at first there was a lot of uncertainty surrounding like where we were going to be deployed. You know, I'm going Mm -hmm. into OBGYN. I was like, Oh, maybe they'll need help on OBGYN. And sort of like, we, you know, we found out very quickly, like, no, like the need is with COVID patients, like everyone's kind of going there. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, get in the first day, I get handed my PPE and like, we Mm -hmm. start suiting up like, okay, this this is happening. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, start going into rooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, you know, I have to say it was a surreal experience to walk into my first patient room um, mm-hmm. You know, first, you know, this is me coming in with what I had heard on the news, um, sort of like these, you know, stories, but I had never been, you know, face to face with, uh, you know, known COVID positive patient. Um, and, you know, you're suited up in this big ga- you know, gown and the, the mask and everything, you almost feel like you're like an astronaut stepping onto Mars, yeah. um, you get into the room. And I think after that first patient interaction, where I was very nervous, you know, oh, my God, am I going to get coughed on? Am I get, you know, um you kind of get used to it. You kind of um mm-hmm. it becomes a it, you know, it becomes normal after after the first couple of interactions. You're like, "Okay, this is just the way that things are done now. Um it's still medicine. You know, you're still treating you're still treating patients the way you normally would. You're just being very careful about exposure at this point."
0: Yeah, and I think that's so interesting because I will say that I think I sort of came up so I finished medical school, I always have to think about this. In 2008, And I, I feel that hospital acquired infection was just sort of like becoming something that everybody was talking about all the time when I was in medical school. Mm -hmm. So this attitude of, you know, um, suiting up before you enter a patient in isolation Mm -hmm. and wearing the right things and then taking them off in the right way. And it it's ingrained in me, obviously I don't do that anymore, but I think that there's probably a generational divide where it was like a. (sighs) A learning curve right. for some people who weren't used to it, right? Yeah. And I just wonder what your generation is going to experience because you're finishing what yours at 2020, so 12 mm-hmm. years after I did. And I think your experience of medicine is going to be totally different than mine. I'm not <laughs> that much older than you, but I don't think you'll ever walk in to a patient's room probably without at least part of your hippocampus I'm just kidding bad (laughs) joke but like some part of your mind sort of thinking like should I be wearing a mask should I be wearing gloves should I be wearing a gown should I you know like what should I be doing to protect myself it's such a different experience and I mean not to even mention all the psychological effects but just the The thing about infection control—it's so interesting to me—and I just wonder if your generation will finally solve this problem of like VRE and MRSA and all this stuff because you're going to be so much more careful.
1: (laughs) I I, hope. Honestly, I hope that we um, are a little uh, bit—you know—take something out of this in terms of um, you know using using what we learn from this pandemic to prevent the next one, to figure out how to like early mobilization. In terms yeah. of resource allocation, that all that yes. kind of things
0: and stockpiles and all of it. I think you guys are going to solve this problem. It's going to be great. So, <laughs> what are you hearing from other healthcare providers? And I assume you're still in contact with your classmates because right. you're all still in town and you haven't left for your prospective residencies right. yet. What are you hearing from them? And then what are you hearing? Like, I assume you're part of a team now. Yes. Like, what are the mid-level residents? What are the attendings? Like, how is everyone feeling? Because I, I just talked to my friend Andrew mm-hmm. on the last couple, like. Two podcasts ago. And I told him that I assumed it was just like people wailing and like, you know, everything in chaos. But it seems like, like you said, like people are almost getting used to it. Do you feel like it's sort of becoming
1: routine? Is that possible? um, I don't get a sense of chaos at all. Um, I feel like it's a very controlled situation, which Mm -hmm. honestly makes me feel a lot more comfortable. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I will also say there's a very strong sense of camaraderie um, among all the hospital staff. People are just, you know, overwhelmingly kinder and more, not that they're ever not kind or more patient yeah. with each other, but I think that we're being extra nice to each other because we know that this is a tough time. Sure.
0: Um, yeah. You
1: know, we, we also still find time during the day to have fun, you know, take breaks. Um, we, you know, have been limited, you know, there hasn't been as much didactics, but we still try to like have academic topics. Um, and we kind of also take time to reflect on um, the experiences we're having. Um, one one thing that I, I actually have been really um, appreciative of is that at Stony Brook, at our shop, we've been, uh, they've been playing songs on the loudspeaker, you know, usually that, you know, you hear loudspeaker is never a good sign, like, oh, code M or code, whatever, code blue, um, but yeah. they're actually playing uh, music over the loudspeaker every time a patient is either discharged or uh, extubated, who is a covid positive
0: Lovely, patient. that's great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Definitely great yeah. for
1: morale. Um, they've yeah. also opened up a wellness floor on one of the floors where you can just mm-hmm. kind of if you have a free minute during the day, you can kind of chill. They have like, you know, uh, peaceful music and, and snacks and like, you know, video games. Video um, games. <laughs> it, <it's really laughs> that is fun. amazing. Uh, Switched yeah. the other day. so um, oh my goodness. So I feel like, and, and the other thing I want to mention is that the local restaurants have been donating food. And like, I feel uh. like everyone is really chipping in on the outside to really make us feel like we're being appreciated. Um, and, you know, we, honestly, I feel so appreciated. Like, like patients are so, you know, they're really, um, grateful for the job that we're doing. Um, and just in terms of like how other people are sort of like, um, adjusting, um, you know, I feel like we have kind of been promoted to interns as medical students. Everyone's kind of advanced one degree. I feel like one, so the- You've
0: all gone up one
1: click. Exactly. So the interns, like my intern, Dr. Germana- um, is now acting as a senior resident. A lot of the fellows are acting as attendings. Um, they're, you know, it's sort of an all hands on deck situation right now. So a lot of the outpatient yeah. primary care docs are coming in to take on the role of hospitalist, uh, which is sure. also an interesting, you know, transition. I feel like they're handling it extremely well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's very interesting. I just think it's so amazing, and I think brave is also sort of undersells what. Um, I mean, it's it's a certain kind of bravery as a an attending to go into these places, mm-hmm. but I think it's also a kind of bravery to do what you did and say like, "I just figured out how to be a doctor like five minutes ago. I'll do whatever." It's just it's great. So yeah, we
1: adapt. But I also have to say, yeah. the, I think the bravest people are the nurses and the and the oh, nursing aides because they are the ones yeah. who are going in and out of rooms constantly. Like for me, yeah. I'm going into COVID rooms maybe once or a handful of times a day they're okay. in and out like they are the sure. one and honestly from our perspective we are trying to do more to limit their exposure so we're kind right. of being very judicious about okay like do we really need that um repeat cbc do we really want right. to like, expose that nurse to like another right. blood draw so we're, we're trying to like kind of work with them to make sure that um yeah. we're all limiting exposure you know
0: that's really that's really good and, and- Okay. So this dovetails into our next question. Like, how do we think medicine is going to change? I know you've only been in medicine for a minute, but um, stuff like that. Like, I think it's very interesting to think about how people will think about, do I really need this test or is is the sort of utilization of things going to change? Will people always, will people in your situation always think in the back of their head, like, I don't know, I came of an era when you know, I didn't do that extra CBC and it was okay, you know,
1: I I I don't know. Yeah, we are definitely finding that um, the practice of medicine is definitely changing on a very um, immediate level at this point. Um, Uh And I think a lot of the like extra tests that we normally would order, especially at an academic institution where it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. let's like follow up on this because it's interesting. um, We're, we're, you know, especially now that our resources are tight, we're really evaluating whenever we're going over our plans for the day like which are the tests that we actually are really going to need and what's going to change patient management. And what are the things that can probably wait until this whole COVID crisis is over that we can follow up on.
0: Right. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to think about it. Um, And then uh, I usually round out the sort of intro part with if this situation has affected you personally, however much you feel like talking about it, or do you feel increased stress and how do you cope with stress?
1: Yeah. I feel like, you know, on a conscious level, I haven't had um, that much of a change in my, you know, outlook. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty positive person overall. Um, but I will say that I have been having some trouble sleeping. It's hard to kind of turn off, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, I come home and then I talk to my parents and they're talking about COVID. I talk to my sister and she's talking about COVID. I like turn (laughs) on the news. It's all COVID. Um, so like my entire day is COVID from start to end. Um, but I have been trying to stay active and running with my, with some friends. Um, and definitely, Uh I feel like it's been interesting because I, this probably isn't just unique to me. I feel like I'm having a lot more of like extended phone conversations with friends and family that I like haven't had in the past. It's usually just like a quick text here and there. I
0: totally agree with you. And when I FaceTime my friends now, like this rush of endorphins, when I see their face, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't get out much. I mean, you probably get out more. But it's, it's so interesting how I feel like for years and years, people were avoiding calling one another, you know, Mm -hmm. we were all texting all the time.
1: So we're kind yeah. of bringing back the phone call. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which I was aces at when I was a teenage girl. So it's like I have plenty, plenty of practice. But yeah. um, the, this was before like instant messenger was a thing. But, oh, okay. Okay. So more physical. Uh, that's a common theme that I hear is like more reaching out to people mm-hmm. and more physical activity, which is interesting because I feel like most people are also eating more, which it sounds like maybe you're getting like really good food at the hospital. So it all about <laughs> it, it's right? <laughs> it's exactly. Tough. Exactly. Um, so. To move on to education, mm-hmm. I know uh, we talked about how a lot of your classmates transition to remote learning mm-hmm. and didactic access, And you said you're sort of working them in as you go. Right. Um, you did have some experience as a medical student. What other changes do you notice since you're still at the same hospital where you were a medical student, which is an interesting transition? Do you right. see anything else happening differently in, t- in terms of education?
1: So I think um, this is something that, you know, not just Stony Brook is facing, that the all medical schools across the country are facing is sort of how to make sure that students are given an adequate education um, mm-hmm. when a lot of things are being delayed or, um, you know, sort of like uncertain restart times. Um, I know a lot of like away rotations are being canceled now um, with uncertainty as to whether they're going to start um, step exams have been kind of canceled until further notice, as far as I'm con- uh, aware. Um, mm-hmm. So pe- people who are like scheduled to take uh, step exams um, may have missed them, may have to reschedule. Um, and then, and
0: above- that still happens in person, step exams, you still have to go to a testing yeah, center? Yes.
1: So the, the okay. step uh, one and the step two CK are taken at a testing site, like a Prometric or one of those, um, you know, you, go, you have to go to a computer session uh, or station. And then the step two CS exam is the one where it's in person. You're doing like the physical yes. exam on the standardized patient. On the
0: right, right. Yes. Uh, so those will have
1: to figure. We'll figure out. How- we'll have to figure out how those are all going to get rescheduled. So we, you know, it's going to be a pretty crunched up um, time of you know figuring out how things. Well, are gonna... can
0: I just petition whoever's in charge of that to like give you a buy? I, mean, I, I mean, for honestly, heaven's sake.
1: Yeah, well, I think... you are
0: in the hospital <laughs> with COVID patients. You should just get like a big gold stamp on yours and like you don't have to do it (laughs) because we're good you're good like
1: like, my personal opinion i you know i don't have any evidence that is that supports this but i I feel like residencies are going to be accommodating for this year of you know uh this coming year fourth years because of all the uncertainty and all the changes in schedules um you know maybe they'll be taking step two during intern year like who knows at this point
0: (laughs) yeah and the so the, there's a step three, right? Yes. Do they still have that? Okay. So that's the one that's like clinical. And you can imagine as a pathology intern, <laughs> it was a mess. Like we, I took mine, I think in like September, because mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm never going to know any more about chest x-rays than I do right now. Right, exactly. So let's just get this done.
1: And then I just uh, want to say for the yeah. um, didactic yeah. portion of, for oh, like sure. for the resident education, um, we are still having, which is nice that the, you know, the medical or the uh, residency program is still doing this. They're doing... Um, zoom uh based Mm -hmm. uh you know noon conferences uh you Mm -hmm. know a couple times a week so normally they you know they are you know they do do like a noon conference every day now it's a little bit um more sparse. they are still making an effort to make sure that the residents are still getting some form of uh education uh during this time so i think that you know i've appreciated that we've done a couple of uh you know we've had like a couple of hours where we can okay like sit down and learn about like a rheumatology topic or you know a gi topic
0: Right. And that's another thing that I find very interesting is that the transition to remote learning. And I know for people like you, when you get into OBGYN and people who have clinical responsibilities, sometimes it's hard to get you all in one spot. So going forward, will they do more remote learning opportunities? Because then you can, you know, be on a floor and two minutes later be in a dark room somewhere learning for an hour and then you can just go right back to your patients. So actually, um, I think
1: that's an excellent idea. I feel like that's something that's going to, you know, sort of Uh, start up and running after this
0: (laughs) yeah and and I think a lot of times it's hard for people I can speak from personal experience because I spent two hours today trying to learn how to um coherently send group zoom invites which I did and it (laughs) wasn't as intuitive as I thought it was going to be well you probably could do it in your sleep because you're a young person (laughs) but like it's forced people like me who aren't like necessarily super comfortable with new 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 technology to Mm -hmm. like just get over it and force yourself to do it which every time (laughs) you do it Whatever. I mean, you're not my therapist, but um, <laughs> anyway, I think going forward, people like me will realize that there are remote ways to do a lot of stuff like that, and it's going to
1: be better for everybody. But that's yeah, just my personal sort of force opinion. us all yeah. to become yeah. very adept at technology that we otherwise may not have ever needed to, you know, become adept yes. at.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. So you're seeing COVID patients right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you hearing? So I originally I. Um, I was going to ask you questions about OBGYN, but I this is a unique situation you find yourself in. How are you seeing the... I assume you're on a floor, but not in the ICU, right? Right, exactly. Okay. So you were seeing patients, say, a year ago. Mm-hmm. How are these patients different, and how does it feel different to approach them? Um, are Say, if you have a whole floor full of COVID patients, yeah. do you find they all have pretty similar needs? Or are you seeing, like, this patient is presenting with... These symptoms, and then down the hall, she's totally different than him, or is it pretty much across the board you see similar things going on?
1: You know, it's very interesting you ask. Um, So, my attending, who is this brilliant primary care doc at Stony Brook, (laughs) um, she's been kind of trying to phenotype the COVID patients um, and she's kind of put them into like broad buckets of how Mm. they present. So, there's actually a couple of unique presentations. Um, Uh Like the ones that are scary to her are the people who don't actually feel that bad, but then you Mm -hmm. look at their oxygen saturation and they're in like the low 80s. She's like the people who are going to crash and end up in the ICU. Okay. Then you have the people who are um, just like the elderly person with like, you know, some chronic kidney disease who's like just chilling on the floor and like on like maybe two liters or like room air and they're going to do fine. Um, And then you have like the younger person who comes in with more of like the, um, chest pain, cough, nausea, vomiting, and they're going to have like a protracted course. Um, they're going to be in the hospital for a couple of weeks, maybe, or, you know, a week, um, they're going to require maybe four or five liters. Um, and generally those patients are going to do well. So, um, those are, you know, this is something that, you know, I'm starting to see, um, she's been doing this since it started. So she has a little bit of a better sense of like these kind of phenotypes that she's picked out. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, there are definitely different types of presentations of COVID that require hospital hospitalization.
0: And and in in general, the people who kind of show up with the low O2 sets are the ones who end up sort of crumping at some point and needing like more severe intervention. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, Although
1: not to say that. that the other types can't, but it just seemed right. like the ones I don't know, for some for whatever reason it's and the other thing is um a lot of them come in with uncontrolled diabetes. Like that's another thing we've been seeing. Like these <sighs> patients who Um, Otherwise, like have no medical history and you see that you check an A1C and it's like 11. Those are the patients we've noticed actually end up going up to the ICU a lot of times. So
0: they didn't know they had diabetes before they came in? So like they were probably, we were
1: actually kind of like, you know, we're talking about this. Uh, We have patients who come in and we're like, you know, if this, this patient's like the type of person who like never goes to a doctor... And like, I see. If, if COVID didn't happen, like they probably would have presented like 10 years later with like a diabetic foot ulcer would be their got first it, time to medical it. care, you know?
0: Right, right. But this is somehow something about this virus is exploiting, like, um, what do they call it? Smoldering uncontrolled diabetes. Yes, I just made exactly. that up, But yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, they use that word for myeloma. I don't think they use it for diabetes. Um, <laughs> I, I would say it, people no. are, it's, yeah, people are going to tweet it, at me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The smoldering diabetes. So, um, that's really interesting. So, um. Yeah, I, I know when I when I read about it, and I've read several accounts, they're mostly from ER doctors, which is probably a very different picture than what you're seeing, because it seems to me, and my friend Andrew said this too, that people are putting off coming to the hospital right. until they are really sick. So the people who are coming to the ED are probably those low O2 sat kind of people. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one line I read from this female doctor, this female physician who said, um, that the patients who presented were so tired mm-hmm. because they were tired of how much they had to work to breathe. And, and that sentence, you know, you talk about not being able to sleep. Like that's one of those things that just sort of pings around in your head and you're like, how scary must that be to be physically exhausted? From oh yeah. Breathing.
1: I have a, I have a friend just, at Mount Sinai who said, um, a patient was literally asking him like, I want you to intubate me
0: because I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's oh, that it just gives me chills. Mm-hmm. So, um, to pivot to your uh, job that you're going to start in—I don't even know when it is—two months, a month, and uh, some a month change. And some
1: change, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, um, tell us about why you're starting on July 15th. Oh, so it's actually interns normally start on July. 1st,
1: we're we're right? starting on June 15th. Sorry.
0: Oh, June 15th. I'm mm-hmm. oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, why is that uh, middle of the month? Is it? Uh, I, I mean,
1: nothing to do with COVID. That's actually we, I think okay. they normally start us, they they um start us a little early so we can have like an intern boot camp, which I'm actually oh. hearing is going to be mostly um online, actually, because of the <laughs> whole situation. So I'll be <laughs> yeah.
0: Stay away. No, I'm just kidding. So they, when you decided to do what you're doing now, was there some sort of notification process? Like you had to tell residency, like, I'm going to be doing this? Or would you just... Is it all through your medical school? How does that all work?
1: All through the medical school. All okay. that I, uh, so I actually asked, uh, I reached out to the program and I said, you know, is it okay? Like, are you guys mm-hmm. going to be asking us to come early? Cause like, I don't know if like Maryland was going to have a big need. They said, nope, you're going to come like to start on July or uh, sorry, on June 15th. June 15th. Um, okay. Just make sure that you can like come early enough that you're not going to have to, um, you know, shelter in place, but like, and also be having to work. So like come early enough that you actually are here on time kind of thing. So you can spend 14 so. days yeah. like
0: isolated exactly. from everyone yeah. in a city that you don't do not know and are just moving <laughs> to. That is
1: be crazy tra- transition. But I feel like if I could do, you know, what I'm currently doing, I probably do that. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> you're probably just going to like sleep for most of it or exactly. something. Finally <laughs> for for once. Um so you're going to be transitioning to taking care of pregnant patients and I realize that you're not taking care of them Yet, I wanted to, I uh, reached out to a a close friend of mine who is actually pregnant right now, Mm -hmm. and I asked her just to get a discussion started. And I will preface this by saying that if you draw a spectrum of people who don't worry about things and people who worry about things like way too much, I'm probably towards that end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So being pregnant for me was a very um, anxiety laden time, which Mm -hmm. I think it is for a lot of women. But I think about this close friend of mine who is also a physician and pregnant. And I think like how hard it was for me in normal times right. and how she must be feeling. And um, she called it gasoline on anxiety flames. That's how wow. she calls being pregnant <laughs> during COVID. And she says she worries about everything. Um, will she get sick? Will her yeah. baby get sick? Will her, will her will she get fired? Will her husband get fired? And it's just, wow. um, you know, it's just like this extra level. And I know you're already taking care of COVID patients, but you're walking into this situation of, women that I think are not only worried about themselves, but they're worried about their, their babies. Of course. Um, What are you hearing from your colleagues, your Mm -hmm. future colleagues in OBGYN where you are right now in the OBGYN world? Like, do you, do you hear some sort of over, like you said that professor you're working with now, there's like three phenotypes. Are there, similar big level trends that you hear about in the world of OBGYN right now?
1: Well, what I've heard basically on a on a global scale more is that uh, pregnant women as you say are are they're more reluctant uh, you know to come to see their OBGYNs in person because of the fear of sure, uh, kind of contracting sure. it or, or you know right. uh, being exposed to others who are who might be positive. So um, Stony Brook and I think a lot of other places have transitioned to a lot of televisits when face-to-face sure. base- contact is not absolutely necessary for things like mm-hmm. blood draws, ultrasounds, all that kind of thing. Um, some win- women I've heard are going as far as opting for home births rather than coming to the hospital to get exposed to COVID. Um, right. And yeah, that's something that you know the you know is kind of like a very individual decision. Like that's not something we necessarily would recommend.
0: Right, and that's like a whole separate set of like concerns for those patients on behalf of their OBGYNs. I'm sure like that's not that I'm judging one way or another, but it just makes like a whole separate set of things to sort of think about. I'm sure.
1: Right. Exactly. But I will say that like, that's, you know, we're, we're being very careful with our, Uh um, pregnant patients when they come to the hospital, you know, we're being, right. I think it might be the most cautious place in the hospital. Um, uh-huh. Everyone is treated as a person under investigation until okay. proven otherwise. Okay. So I think, and you know, they're taking extra precautions to make sure that there's like minimal movement on the floor. That's not necessary to kind of right. uh, keep people like where they are.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Cause I, when I was thinking about pregnancy, I, um, uh, the, I read uh, an article and I don't, I don't think it's actually been, well, there is a recent study in the New England Journal of Medicine where they screened a whole bunch of women and 13.5% of the Mm. pregnant women they screened were positive, but asymptomatic. And to me, that's always been not just in pregnant patients and people in general, right? Right. Like you hear these scary stories about, you know, I've written about it um, on my blog, but like a choir practice in California that didn't get canceled because it was right around the time they were thinking about doing social distancing. Mm-hmm. and all these people got it right. just from singing. You know, no right. one was even sick or right. like a funeral that people went to in Georgia, and then it just like exploded in that town because people were presumably hugging one another and you know, crying at a funeral. but right. nobody felt sick. So for me, it, with pregnant women, it's like people, as a person who might be taking care of them, like people are going to come into the hospital. You might even not even know they're sick, but you would assume that delivery stresses the body in a way that could make it manifest itself. So I just wonder, what are you hearing? Like, are they sort of like going above and beyond with testing everybody? Or like you said, they just assume everyone has it. So, yeah.
1: So basically, um, the Stony Brook as of today is testing all pregnant women who come to the hospital mm-hmm. for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of universal. Just testing. for
0: delivery or for checkups, just when they're in labor. When
1: they come uh, basically to like OB triage. Um, okay. So, okay. you know, anyone who's coming into the hospital, who's, who's known pregnant, um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe delivering, may not be, um, is going to be tested for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and our mm-hmm. rates are similar to what the New England Journal was reporting. I think ours are mm-hmm. around 15 to 20% of COVID mm-hmm. patients who are pregnant are asymptomatic. Um, mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, you know we've actually been treating delivery as an aerosolizing procedure because women are breathing heavily. A lot of them are spitting. They're oh my they're god! Bopping. I didn't
0: even yeah that the a the... The, uh, the what are they called the um ACOG guidelines mm-hmm. that I read over before we were talking yeah like the second stage of labor because people are doing basically Lamaze breathing I was mm-hmm. like duh I yeah. didn't even think about that gosh
1: you so won't be safe the uh the OBs have been smart enough to actually start putting up drapes the way you do during a c-section even just during vaginal deliveries to prevent <laughs> the spread of the virus to the you know providers who are on the other side
0: oh my goodness what a time again. <laughs> Oh man. I've alluded to this picture someone tweeted of a woman on the subway. I don't know where she what city she was in, and she just had like a plastic salad container over her head. And I was like, maybe we should just all be doing yep. that. I don't know. Basically in scuba equipment all the time. Exactly. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, so uh I noticed when I was uh looking at your 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 background, you also have a PhD in pharmacology. Right. And there has been so much discussion these days about drugs, drug therapy, potential intervention with drugs. How do you feel like, and obviously you come from a medical family, but how do you feel like having that training has changed how you have consumed the news or read? I mean, when you hear, oh, this drug might work for COVID, do you just take one glance at what they're talking about? And you're like, that's not going to work. I mean, is it totally (laughs) apparent to you as someone who worked with pharmacology or is would you feel like you're different than the rest of us
1: well i don't know if other people do this probably not mm-hmm. um i'm a very like mechanism of action kind of person so like whenever someone uh-huh. says Oh, we're, you know, this new drug might, um, you know, be effective against COVID. I'm always like, how does that drug work? Like, is there a what does it do? i always like, I'm a
0: sorter as well. I do the same thing. I'm like <laughs> remdesivir. What does that mean? And then I go look it up. I'm like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay,
1: it. yeah, exactly. Like, if it's like, if it makes sense, like, okay, like it's a, you know, a nucleotide analog that's going to like prevent reverse transcription. Okay. That makes sense. Like, so, you know, things like that. Like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I can get on board with that. Like if it's like something that <laughs> kind of is like out of left field where like this, sounds like it's probably kind of like quack medicine. Like I'm get a little suspicious.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That must be, yeah, that must be helpful. Cause I, it's been so long since I really interacted with medicines that, I mean, sometimes like my family and friends will ask me questions Mm -hmm. and I'm like, seriously, if you knew how funny it is that you're asking me what antibiotic to give your child for an ear infection, like I don't know anymore. (laughs) So, um, but usually if I get down to the mechanisms, but I, I can imagine that having your experience would be helpful and also not helpful because other people can like hold on to hope a little bit. And like you said, if you just read it for a little bit, you're like, I don't think that's going to work.
1: And the the other thing I will say, like going into OB, like anytime I hear Mm -hmm. a new drug, I'm also thinking like, oh, like what pregnancy a, category is that? Like hydroxychloroquine, uh, is it ramycin? Like these are drugs that we use during pregnancy. Oh so gosh. like for me, that's like, okay, like maybe these are candidates. Like obviously things yeah. are coming out that they may not be as effective, but like at least from right. like a safety point of view, like that's another thing that's always on my mind.
0: Well, and it usually- at least you know something about medicines that have been around as long as hydroxychloroquine. Right. right? Exactly. Because if it's brand new, you it's really hard to find pregnant women just like throw drugs at to see if it hurts their baby. Exactly. That's a really yeah. hard study to design. So, yeah. Um, uh, and so you'll be moving soon from uh, maybe just explain to people who aren't as familiar, like where are you living now with respect to what I would consider sort of the United States epicenter of the outbreak, mm-hmm. New York city. And then, um, how do you f- how are you feeling about moving to Baltimore and um, what's going on there? You said you reached out to your program to see right what the levels were there. Yeah.
1: Um, so I am basically and um, about an hour and a half east uh, from New York City um, but on Long Island, um, mm-hmm. where we actually have also been hit pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. I hear from my friends in Baltimore that's not quite so bad there, although I feel like we have kind of reached our peak and are on the downslope, um, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whereas they may, they might be kind of ramping up a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. I will say I haven't felt unsafe in terms of like a P from a PPE perspective, although we are being very tight with our rations, Um, you know, get like one N95 a week, um, you know, what do
0: you do with the N95 when you're not wearing it?
1: Um, we keep it in a little plastic baggie. So we have like our, we all have our, like, we call them goodie bags <laughs> of all of And do you,
0: do you like clean it or? So we, always we
1: recycle them at the end of the week. They actually get, I think, um, you know, uh, they're, they're doing the, uh, sterilization procedure so that they can be re- reused. And then we get a fresh one, uh, reassigned okay. next week. Um, so okay, okay. yeah, it's been, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know how much, uh, exposure I'm getting. There's probably some like low level cause we're not in every, you know, on the, on the general floors. Um, we're not in negative pressure rooms. So there may be mm-hmm. some like small amount of COVID kind of just floating around the air when you're not wearing your 95 that you're kind of breathing in. But we try not mm-hmm. to think about that too carefully. <laughs>
0: well, and everyone is probably wearing a mask now, right. not just you. Yes. But, yeah, you exactly. know, oh, yeah. And there's exactly. no visitors. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think everything's just changed. But yeah, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you're basically going to be moving during a pandemic um, after having graduated medical school early to go work with a anxious patients who may or may not have COVID and are delivering babies. So it's like no big deal. (laughs) No big deal, exactly. (laughs) It's just like another day for you. Oh my goodness gracious. But I will say,
1: everyone has been adapting like tremendously well. And I am just so impressed with how everyone is kind of just stepping up. Like we have, you know, psych, derm, ortho residents who are just like, okay, like now I'm an internal medicine resident treating COVID patients. And it's just like amazing how everyone is really stepping up.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. And we'll all, uh, on the other side of this, you'll have so many good stories to tell. (laughs) So um, usually at the end of every show, I talk about, uh, you know, this is a pathology joke, but you, you had one at the beginning too. So you'll understand (laughs) the final diagnosis for us. I just like wrap things up um, with my top line thoughts. And I would say, um, I mean, the, the, You just alluded to this, but I think what we're expecting of all of our healthcare practitioners, not just physicians, but nurses, nursing aides, everyone who works in the hospital, everybody who gets up every day and goes to work to take care of these people, we just are expecting more out of everybody. And you are taking a time at the end of medical school, which I think most medical students use to sort of collect themselves, like study, Mm -hmm. get ready to move, to throw yourself into a situation with a steep learning curve and I would consider like high hazard um, of getting sick. And um, I just think it's lovely. And I think medical students are lovely people in general. And I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I think when you're, you seem to be taking a high stress time and transitioning it into a time to learn and help people, which is what medicine should be about. So
1: um,
0: it does seem nice that they're sort of de-emphasizing the testing right now for you all, and you're getting some real world experience. But um, I do hope, and it sounds like it's happening for you, that during this time, people like me can come through and still be good teachers, which is what I'm trying um, to focus on for the trainees who are feeling anxiety and, um, you know, not just about getting sick, but also about making sure they're learning what they need to learn. But um, I can honestly say after having talked to you, I feel a lot better. So thank you. (laughs) you. (laughs) Would you like to give us your your final diagnosis?
1: Sure. Um, So I'll just say, you know, going from med student to full-fledged intern with a busy patient load, in a hospital that's kind of in constant flux, it has been a challenging transition, but I do feel extremely fortunate and blessed to be working with a really truly inspirational crew of fellow recent grads, residents, fellows, and attendings from all different fields. Um, each you know sort of adapting to a new way of life and rolling with the punches. Um, and I'm also extremely grateful to have the amazing team of nursing staff, social workers, case managers, um, you know, respiratory therapists, um, cleaning staff, who are really just going to work every day with a positive attitude and all doing their best to you know treat patients with this terrible disease.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, my my very first discussion with an interim intern and um it's been really lovely. Thank you for talking with us and thank you everyone for joining us. Um if you have any suggestions for future shows, I've never done this outro before, but <laughs> I think it's something that people who have podcasts do. Um you can always let me know on Twitter and um I think today's been lovely and Thank you again, Dr. Kirshen, and everyone have a great day.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Take care.